Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, October the 19th, 2023. I'm turning my fans off. It's a hot day in San Francisco today. Uh, last year, sadly, Barbara Ehrenreich died. I uh, was a big admirer of her work, a highly polemical, opinionated, brilliant writer with a commitment to social justice, best known probably for Nickel and Dimed. Both of her kids have actually been on the show, but not Barbara, and unfortunately we'll never get her. She's also or was the co-founder, I think, or maybe even the founder of the Economic Hardship Reporting Project, uh, a project focused on telling the rest of the world about how ordinary people and poor people live in America. Um, its uh, current director uh, is Alyssa Quart, and she was on the show uh, last year talking about her new book, Bootstrap. Uh, but Alyssa and the rest of the crew from uh, her project have come out with a new book called Going for Broke, Living on the Edge in the World's Richest Country. It's a series, a collection of essays, both by prominent writers and by people who are experiencing what it's like to live on the edge in the world's richest country, which is, of course, America, although I'm not entirely sure that America really is the world's richest country. Uh, and one person who uh, is in the collection is someone who I think most of you will be familiar with, Annabelle Gerwich. Uh, is a very well-known Hollywood uh, actress, uh, as well as an author, best-selling writer of a wonderful book uh, called You're Leaving When? Adventures in Downward Mobility. And her essay in, um, in uh, Going for Broke is taken from this, and she's joining us from Los Angeles, where else would Annabelle Gerwich be? Annabelle, you knew uh, Barbara Ehrenreich you were mentioning before. Tell me a little bit more about her. Make me feel even worse that I never got her on the show. I'm going to do that because, you know, the thing about Barbara, and I met Barbara, I as, as I recall, uh, through uh, former Labor Secretary Robert Reich when I was doing my first book, uh, fired, which uh, was inspired when I was fired by Woody Allen, at, but became a story about uh, the shift to the gig economy. That's what was actually happening in the larger picture in the world when I was fired from this, you know, really meaningless play. So the story that I was writing to in the book, and it became a documentary, was about this shift and what that would do to our society. And um, Bob Reich was kind enough to be in the film and he thought I should meet Barbara. And uh, we met doing, we got somehow or another, I was doing a screening at a, at, a, at a college and Barbara agreed to come and a friendship began. And the thing about Barbara was, uh, and she was such an inspiration to me. I mean, I had read her work before, but she was both a scientist by training and a journalist. And the thing that I think is under uh, uh, talked about in Barbara's work is her sense of humor, her pithy writing. Her writing was so entertaining that as you were, as she would examine, and deeply, as you said, polemical. I mean, these these are really big issues that she would tackle in all of her twenty one books. 
Um, and she was a co-founder of EHRP. Um, and, uh, you know, but it, the humor, and if you want to, if you haven't somehow, if you are watching this and you haven't been familiar with Barbara's work, I want to recommend one of my favorite books of hers, Bright Sided, um, which looked at, it's a collection of essays that was inspired when Barbara was uh, diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. And uh, she tells these stories and looks at not only the wellness industry in America, but the way she broadens that in, to look at the way that positive thinking undermines our uh, society uh, in the in the larger sense, in terms of the narrative uh, economically of how we have uh, we uh, Americans and you know look in the rest of the world we have spread this message uh, tend to think that you can uh, positive think your way into a higher income bracket, which um, is something that also Alyssa Court. Uh, tackles in her book, Bootstraps, when she really demystifies this American dream. And Barbara's writing in Brightsided is so hilarious. I just want to give one example. She writes about, and you have to imagine Barbara, a scientist. She's written at that point, 19 books, 1920 books. When she goes to a, uh, a, a support group for women going through breast cancer, and she's handed a journal and they tell her, you might want to journal your thoughts as you're going through this breast cancer. And of course the journal is pink because, you know, you, you get, you get pinked when you have breast cancer and uh, to write in the journal, they hand her crayons, crayons. <laughs> what is she? This is what they think mm. of you at this just just the way that mm. uh, I just I just love it's a shame that. Uh, that we couldn't get Barbara to write uh, uh, an essay on the latest pink mania in America this year. Oh, you know, I I am just it was it was such. A I mean, I one wonders what Barbara would have thought of Bar. <laughs> I mean, especially since it's called Barbie. Yes, yes. Well, I I know we'll we'll never get the Barbara Ehrenreich a Barbie essay, but um, but all of her work is so great. And if you if if you know for 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 people who are uh, watching and listening who haven't been familiar, I urge you to discover not only the intelligence, brilliance, insight, but the humor. Um, of her work, because that, that I think just did not get as much attention. And I've been fortunate enough to have my work supported by um, EHRP uh, through essays that I've written, really that focus on inequities um, in, in the Washington Post, and the New York Times, and USA Today. And they've been so supportive. And I, I love the stories that are in this book. Mine is just one story. There's just uh, some fantastic writing and also illustrations. Um, one of my favorites I just want to mention is um, a, a, a small uh, story that's illustrated by Emily Flake, who does, uh, she's a cartoonist for The New Yorker. And it is uh, the difference, the, the essay is um, the difference between being broke and being poor. And, and in these illustrations, you see this story unfold about the grocery store, visiting the grocery store as the ultimate um, uh, test of the psychology that, that this writer is distinguishing between being broke and being poor as you experience it when you're shopping for groceries. And it's, it's, 
it's both um, just very profound and and also relatable. And I personally, I thought it was a great distinction and really it's a good example of the kind of work that Barbara supported and the organization supports. These insights, these very specific personal insights um, into larger issues. Yeah, making making this narrative um, yes. personal. Yes. We are talking with Annabelle Gerwich, a contributor to Going for Broke, uh, an important new book that is just out, um, uh, edited by Alyssa Quart uh, and uh, associated with the Economic Hardship Reporting Project. Uh, Alyssa, um, not Alyssa, uh, Annabelle, you're a famous or famous Hollywood actress, uh -huh. famous, everybody knows you, you've been in a lot of uh, prominent shows and movies. You talked about, and I'm putting words into your mouth, the pinkification of American culture, which of course Barbara Ehrenreich savaged brilliantly. T does Hollywood have any responsibility? Hollywood tends to be made up. Many of the prominent people are politically progressive, but does Hollywood have any responsibility for this uh, extreme romanticization of America and an unwilling to, unwillingness to acknowledge the real truths of what's happening in this country? Oh gosh, uh, that is such a big question. I don't, I don't know that I could, I don't know that I have particular insight into Hollywood's view of America. Uh, sometimes I think Hollywood or, you know, the industry leads the way in thought and other times it's just reflective of the thought because ultimately it's a business and they're asking themselves, what do people want to see? Um, you know, I, I want to though reflect upon something that has to do with the story that's of mine that's included in this because I think it, it touches on that question and it was something I had to ask myself. So, you know, the story of mine that's in the Going for Broke collection uh, originally appeared in the Los Angeles Times. And I want to just say as a journalist, you know, um, you never get to pick the titles of, 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 of pieces as they appear in papers and that that wasn't my title so but the title the title that uh the times shows was i took in a homeless couple with you yes that's a you know that's a that's a that's a, a clickbaity title and hey i i'm so grateful for the la times and for economic hardship reporting project for supporting this and for getting this out there it also appears in a longer version in the book but the way that i but to, but this to, to focus on your question on Hollywood and the way that intersects with this story is this story is about my, when I participated in something called a host home, um, uh, the host home project, which was started by point source youth. If you're interested in this idea, you can go to their website and the idea of the host home program is that people, it matches people with an empty bedroom with people, young people between the ages of, I believe it's it's either 16 or 18 and 24 who are experiencing homelessness, puts them together and you for a short amount of time that's agreed upon by both parties. This is curated by the different organizations locally that sponsor these host home programs. 
you host someone in your home who is experiencing homelessness, you know, a youth, and you are providing a, a community um, a, a network in the sense you are expanding the network and 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 it's a it's a temporary housing solution. It's not a permanent housing solution. But one of the issues, and I, I want to talk more about the story, but in particular, one of the issues that was brought up when I was hosting these two young people and their bunny in my guest bedroom was brought up by a friend of mine. Now, these two young people happened not like most unhoused people in Los Angeles, who are actually most young people who are unhoused in Los Angeles are from the Los Angeles area. These happen to be, these two happen to be from an area in Pennsylvania that has just been decimated by fracking. They wanted to be in the music industry and they had saved money to come out here and through a bunch of schemes, including some Airbnb scam, had lost their money, found themselves living in their car after a few months. A friend of mine said to me, well, Annabelle, aren't you just encouraging young people and playing into this myth that people should move to Hollywood to become musicians and get into the entertainment industry? And I really had to think about that for a minute because whenever anyone tells me they're going into the arts, like if a friend says their child wants to go into the arts, particularly to be an actor, I'll always say, what is going wrong in your family? I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't. Say that again, Annabelle. You said it so beautifully. <laughs> I want to tell you about, I want to tell you about my daughter who <laughs> wants to get into the entertainment business. What does that say about my family? Andrew, we need to have a crisis intervention. There's something going on that is, what are you doing wrong? We have to sit down and like unpack this. It, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm always where do you, I- Do you rent yourself out, Annabelle? Can you come up here and get some of my relatives straight? Yeah, <laughs> well, this is an issue. But so I had to, I had to really think about this. And my answer <clears throat> to my friend and ultimately to myself was, what kind of stories do we want to tell? in Hollywood mm. or the music industry. If we only want stories that come from young people who are born into the business, who already live here, um, from wealthy people, well, then we're gonna have all the same stories. But don't we want, the, the way that this, um, one of my house guests put her upbringing in this town, she said, when she was describing to me the town that she grew up in and how it had been decimated by fracking and jobs had disappeared. And even the movie theater in the mall was raised for a fracking site. That was like sort of the last place she had found culture. She said, yeah, now it's just uh, bars and angry husbands. And I was like, wow. Uh, yeah. I want to hear a song about that. That's the, yeah, this is, may, maybe this is exactly who. That sounds like a, a Bruce Springsteen song. Yes. I, I thought this is who, we want stories from. So in a in a I, I really had to ask myself that question of, you know, um, oh God, now am I gonna be saying young people should move here? Well, you know, that that's a that's a it's that's a, a very loaded and also I mean to be fair to you, I mean and, and maybe critical of your friend, you didn't choose the narratives of the people you brought into your home, you were just trying to do some good. So it wasn't as if you would say, well, I'll let some people in who don't want to be in the entertainment industry, but 
if they want to be in the entertainment industry, they can't stay in my house for a few days. Well, you know, I mean, it it is it, it yes, but I mean, I I thought about it too. I mean, this is one of the things that is was the opportunity that I am I, I hope comes through in the story is that you know I was. First of all, I didn't realize what I was getting into when I I was the seventh person to participate in this host home program in Los Angeles. First of all, I didn't realize that. When I heard about the program, I was an empty, recently empty nesting, uh, going through a divorce, trying to stabilize my finances. So I was renting out uh, a room in my home, like so many people who are. Did you have one of these big Hollywood style houses, or was it a fairly small house, or is it a small? House? You know, my house is 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 about two thousand square feet, so I wouldn't say it's one of those big Hollywood houses. When I rent a room in my house, which I've done for years now, um, uh, you know, I I. I see the person, people that I'm, it's not, you know, we share a kitchen. Uh, there's, there's two bathrooms. They get their own bathroom, but this is not some, you know, sprawling Hollywood estate. There's, you know, we're, we're in it together. Right. So, um, uh, when I, so when I volunteered, I, it was the second year that this program was in, um, uh, in effect in Los Angeles. And when I heard it, it was the second year, I assumed, oh, hundreds of people have done this. I didn't realize I was the set. I was on a small scale. It wasn't how new it was, what a nascent program it was. I don't know that I would have volunteered had that been the case. But um, the program itself, when I did that, you know, I was, and, and it sounds like a cliche, but there's a reason why it's a cliche. I was providing them with a temporary place for them to gather themselves and do all the things that you cannot do when you are unhoused, like have an address so that you can get ready for job interviews. Like, I mean, just, you can't even stabilize yourself in, mm. in, in the smallest ways to get ahead. Um, you know, the, in, in the ways that we don't think about in terms of having a location, you know, to receive mail, how do you deal when you're not feeling well? I mean, all these things that, that, you know, are these layers of instability that come with being unhoused, but it, it you know, it, it's not um, untrue to say it also changed um, not only my perception of who was unhoused, which I thought I had a greater purview of. I've been participating in the, the what's called the um, point in time homeless count in Los Angeles for years. I thought I understood who was experiencing homelessness, uh, but it, it changed not only my view of that and how many times a day I was potentially encountering people. I mean, if you think that you don't know or don't interact with people experiencing homelessness and you uh, uh, do DoorDash, if you, if, you, if you order on Amazon and you get things delivered to your home, it's very likely. Yeah, it's something that you are identifying. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit after the break, Annabelle, about whether... The essay, in part, is designed to make yeah. others feel a little guilty about that. Well, that's that's. I think that's we'll, we'll get to it. I I, I want to. We, we need to take, uh, as they say in Hollywood or in television, a commercial break. I need to thank um, 
Our sponsor, Liberty, is a quarterly journal of culture and politics. In fact, all our guests, including Annabelle Gerwich, will get an annual subscription to this excellent new publication. Uh, we're going to run a, a short ad for uh, Liberties, and then I want to come back and talk to Annabelle about uh, her contribution to this Going for Broke project and what we're going to do to make America a fairer place. So stay with us, everyone. We'll be back in about 33 and a half seconds. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas, it's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We have the great pleasure today, the honor of speaking with Annabelle Gerwich, a very well-known actress and writer, who is also a contributor to an important new book from the Economic Hardship Reporting Project, uh, Going for Broke. Her essay is called, I Took in a Homeless Couple with You, although she suggests that that title was chosen by a LA Times editor. Annabelle, before the break, you were talking about making we and probably most of our audience are like you and I, reasonably prosperous people, aware of the America around us. You talked about DoorDash drivers and Amazon drivers. How ubiquitous is this? Every time we go out of our door, are we really witnessing all the injustices, all the poverty, all the alienation, the precariousness of American life? Yes, I think, you know, we're, you know, there's a statistic and I don't have it at hand right now about um, the amount of school teachers who are living in their cars. I mean, I, I think that the gig economy, uh, I mean, COVID, there's been a lot of uh, reasons why uh, this has happened. But, you know, one of the most frightening things I've ever seen is the Uber advertisement that uh, has... Um, a very handsome, attractive man. He's teaching. He's teaching a science class, and then he's in an Uber, and then he's on a date. And you know, and I'm like, oh my god! And it's like Uber, get your you know gig on. And he's smiling, and it's supposed to show how he's piecing his life together in this way. I just thought, no, wait a minute. I want my kid's science teacher to be home grading papers or thinking about a lesson plan. This is this is terrible. I do not want this. This this is reflective of everything that's 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 wrong with our our values. Um, and pro, and you know I think if there was a coda to that commercial, it would probably be that he was sleeping in in his Uber, which is actually um, there's this was was this one of the jobs that my house guests were doing. They were doing DoorDash. They were doing these delivery things. And, you know, uh, their, their, their vehicle was also their home. But I think, you know, when we say about like it, it changed the way and I, and I want this essay to change the way people see and view people experiencing uh, un, un, unhoused and being unhoused and experiencing homelessness. However, it's not just that this, experience changed the way I even viewed my own narrative. And I think that's really important, particularly if you're someone who has 
had privilege that I think one of the reckonings that we've all gone through in the last few years is really re-examining our own narratives, re-examining what it means to be privileged. You know, growing up, my family experienced homelessness. We lost our home at a certain point. You grew up in Alabama, didn't you? I was born in Alabama. And at a certain point, my father's businesses tanked. We, we, um, we uprooted ourselves. We lost our home, lost the businesses. We, we drove to um, live with my aunt in uh, Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware. And my parents were so broke that um, we didn't have money to buy winter coats for my sister and I. And, and an uncle bought them for us along with mittens that my my sister has still saved those mittens. And I and this happened actually several times during my life. I dropped out of college because my family went bankrupt again. My uh, this so I had this narrative um, that I was um, a a self made person. Um, the and, American dream that uh, you, yes. you mentioned, uh, yes. Alyssa Court's yes. book. Uh, yes. Uh, liberating ourselves yeah. from the American dream, this idea that we make our own histories, which you note at the beginning uh, of, of your essay, talking about through no fault of their own, the idea that we all make right. our own histories is wrong, right? Well, yes. And, and I myself had this narrative uh, that I had of, 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 of bootstrapping myself and, you know, meeting these young people and really granularly getting into their lives. I, I, you know, I thought I was an examined person. Um, I knew I had some amount of privilege, but what I hadn't really taken into account was, as is that wonderful essay I was talking about, the difference between being broke and being poor. I was broke when I was younger, but I was not poor. We had uh, if there was an emergency, we had family, we had uh, connections. And when I was on my own in New York, when I, this is when my family, uh, when I dropped out of college, I had a wide network of support should there have been an emergency. And this is one of the things that I write in, 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 a, in, in the longer version in my book, um, You're Leaving When, about the way that zip code affects your financial future and also your life expectancy in America. And my having these house guests really gave me a chance to examine the difference between the zip code that I grew up in, even though my family was living on borrowed money that ultimately collapsed. I grew up in a zip code where there was great wealth. And what that did for me was that gave me connections that helped me so much in my life. It was such a privilege that I hadn't real, I hadn't, let's say, acknowledged. Um, and my house guests were from a zip code where they had absolutely no connections they had and even a narrative to hold on to they knew no one who had who didn't have a job in a factory so let, let me push back here <laughs> some people might be listening thinking well perhaps they could have left their small town but why come to los angeles why not go somewhere else in the state where they're from go to another town where there are jobs 
That's because there really, are jobs in America. Yes, that's a really good question. And I want to mention that one of the things that Point Source Youth, which is just a great organization, has done in the past few years is they've extended this host home program to small towns in America. So when I participated in it, it was really only in urban centers and uh, it was like in maybe nine different cities. Now it is in over 30 cities, which means that young people and this is this is really what i'm speaking to because this is where i have some you know particular knowledge that the young people who avail themselves of this program many of them are, are come through the foster system or have had encounters with law enforcement or for some reason in their families or have grown up in families well, what about the issue of mental illness i just finished san francisco uh, sicko mm -hmm. A polemic about homelessness in San Francisco, which suggests that many of the people on the streets of San Francisco are mentally ill, and that the issue of poverty is in some ways secondary. I, I I don't I don't feel comfortable in addressing that myself, but because in this constituency of young people, I think the greater commonality is that they've had some system involvement and also come from uh, households that cannot support them at a certain point. Also, a really big factor in being unhoused as a young person has to do with sexual identification, coming from a home where uh, their sexual identification is not recognized. And I, what I wanna mention is that, that the Point Source Youth have been addressing this issue of what about young people who wanna stay in a city near them? Uh, so by, by expanding the program so that uh, people who have the advantage of having, uh, and there are many other programs, but I'm just speaking in particular about this one kind of temporary shelter is, is intended to help to, to work so that young people don't necessarily have to come to a city that's overstressed already. But in terms of, you know, why would they come to California? I want to just say that in my story, in the larger story, you know, I compare the two of our stories. Both of us, just coincidentally, my house guests and me, arrived in Los Angeles having saved almost the same amount of money. I had saved money uh, when I moved to Los Angeles. What year was that? Uh, I moved to Los Angeles in 1989. Wow. Now, of course, you have to allow for the differences in prices and things. And, and I do this in the book. I break down what an apartment costs and, and what then and what an apartment costs now. And of course, it was so much less expensive then. And the threshold to actually get into an apartment, the way landlords look at things uh, is, is so different now. But I mean, I really look at the two of our stories and I was so impressed by these young people. They hadn't just, you know, gotten in a car, packed up and left. They had worked factory jobs to save money. They had really done a you know, a certain amount of due diligence, but what they didn't have was any connections. I, through the um, the accident of birth, you know, and, and through my childhood, had a wide range of network uh, of people that let me stay at their house. You know, I, I couch surfed for maybe six months when I first moved here. Um, I had someone who could help me get a job. I worked as a, as a, um, 
uh, hostess at a nightclub. You know, I mean, there were all kinds of advantages I have that they didn't have. Um, but that wasn't through a lack of hard work and planning. There were also some they were also um, robbed at gunpoint twice. I mean, some of the things that happened. Just uh, briefly, because yes. we, we uh, yes. I know you got to run, um, Annabelle. Just briefly tell me about these people a little bit more. How old were they? What they looked like? What their names were? Um, so, uh, Kiana and Jesse, and they gave me permission to tell their story, and their bunny rabbit. Um, were uh, 20, 19, 19 and 20 when they, uh, they, they came to live in my house. And when I met them, it was sort of like a match.com mixer or some sort of like, it seemed like it was this, you know, this, 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 uh, it was a, um, and I described this in the book, like, you know, it's very California. We were in a garden and there were people making herbal elixirs and there was this luncheon and, you know, and we're like, you know, you're supposed to. It was to like a meetup. You actually met the people in, a, in yeah. a network situation. I did. And when I met Kiana and Jesse and the uh, a social worker from um uh, the host home program said to me, uh, what do you think of them? I said, anybody but them because they had face cats and, and I was sure they were, they would kill me in my sleep. And, uh, they had a bunny rabbit. I had cats. It was just absolutely not gonna, not gonna happen. But, um, that night I went home and I stood in the doorway of my guest bedroom and I thought about Kiana being a young woman living in a car and I didn't know their narrative at the time. I didn't know that each of them had gone to a year of college. I didn't know she had been accepted at UCLA but then couldn't afford it. She had studied um, musical theater. I didn't know that even the face tats were their way of uh, wanting to uh, enter. It was all a plan. They hadn't had face tats before they moved to LA. It was the idea of like gaining entry in the rap world. I just didn't know all the thinking that had gone behind that. But when I stood there in the doorway, I thought about her as a young woman. And I thought about her needing to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom while she was um, living in a car. And I just thought, oh God. So how long did they stay with you? Um, they stayed with me. It was a prearranged situation that they would stay for a month because I was leaving town. And part of the program is, is you, they, the host home program wants you to be there while they're there. They are, um, I'm not in touch with Jesse. They are no longer a couple, but I am still in touch with Kiana, whose life as the majority, in fact, the statistics are like 98% of the young people who participate in this program, um, they end up, this state helps them stabilize and she is housed. She actually um, has signed with a music label and she is pursuing her work. Not that I'm in any way attached to her, like, you know, like this is what I want for her. I want for her to, I mean, you know, the music career, I want for her to be stabilized. You know, like I say- You've got kids of your own, don't you? I do. And, you know, I, I always thought to myself, you know, I'm not, I'm not her mother, but I am a mother. And the parallels between her life and my own kid's life in terms of, 
you know, their closeness and age. I mean, how could I, how could I not open my home when I had this extra bedroom? Well, also, you were opening, you weren't just opening your home, it seems you were opening your heart. You end um, quite wistfully, I think, this wonderful essay. You said you wrote after Kiwana and Jesse uh, left, I found bits of pulpy bunny litter lodged in the nook and crannies of my home and a note thanking me for changing their lives. In a way, um, would it be fair to say that they also changed a little bit of your life, Annabelle? Oh, absolutely. And I want to mention this wasn't a completely mercenary act. I received a stipend, which I think is a really important part of this model of, of temporary housing is that the you don't want this to be a program to be just for you know, wealthy people. There's a there's a different. Uh, I mean, you you want everyone to participate. But did you really? I mean, you're a New York Times bestselling writer. You're a Hollywood actress. Did you really need the stipend? Yes, I did. And I think you know one of the things that I I could not have done this program. I I had a tenant who fell out. This was a, an important part of my economy. And one of the, I mean, Andrew, I love that you asked that question because I don't tell this story in Going for Broke, but Ray Suarez's story. Yeah, I'd like to get Ray actually on the, that sinking feeling. I'd like to get him on the show. That story is really illuminating for anyone to read. He has had a, a I have been a big fan of Ray's for many years. He's had a story mm, so career. So have I. I mean, everyone knows his, his voice. He, oh, he was Mr. NPR for most of us right. in the 80s and 90s. When he describes how in one day, with the choice of dropping dental insurance after after uh, losing a position, uh, you know, a full-time position, becoming a freelancer, and how in one day, he went from being someone with insurance and a certain kind of stability to a person who was suddenly, you know, in financial distress. It, it just, it's like a quicksand that I think it's hard to imagine if you are, are someone who has been in stable employment with benefits, something that's really disappearing. Um, I've been a freelancer all my life. And um, I have still many advantages other people don't have. I mean, there's 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 different levels, but I think that that story, Ray's story, and so many stories in this mm. book show us, and that was the experience I had too of seeing how quickly you can fall through the cracks in America. And my house guests had parents who loved them. And still, you know, who absolutely loved them. And by circumstance, and also there was some medical debt involved in, in Kiana's story, you know, um, found themselves in the circumstance. And in fact, Kiana's mother has, I'm a college dropout. She has more degrees than me. I mean, she's, mm. you know, you, you really see how thin our uh, safety uh, system, safety net is in America. And Ray's story does that so beautifully, so eloquently, and it's chilling. And um, and it's, it's a great read. And I really urge that because, uh, you know, this is people I, I, I know when they've read my story think the same thing. And I think anyone who's a freelancer, been a freelancer in America knows how. Yeah, uh, we'll have to get it right. But finally, uh, Annabelle, you, you started on this. How, how did this experience change your life? 
You know, um, first of all, letting go of my own narrative of having bootstrapped myself, um, which which I had really leaned on, you know, changed my perspective of myself. But in, in a in a greater sense, uh, I felt I felt like one of the things I took from this was to see, and there's this uh, there's a, a Jewish proverb called uh, Pirkei Avot. And the idea behind that is it's um it's it teaches us, and I'm a secular atheist Jewish person, but it teaches us this idea that just because the problems in the world are greater than I can solve does not absolve me of taking small actions and doing my part. I knew I was not changing the face of homelessness in Los Angeles or America, but by taking, I could take a small action. And I think one of the impediments to um, feeling like you're a useful person in society is the overwhelm we all feel in the face of really large issues. And to see that you could make a difference in two people's lives was really a profound, a realization of the impact of small actions. And I stick by that. And I think that's important that we all ask ourselves, what is this very small action? You gave me the title for the piece, The Impact of Small Actions. Hmm. Is that what it's all about, Annabelle? If if people Uh, can learn about that, the impact uh, of small actions. Yeah, All those small actions can contribute to bigger actions. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think, you know, at, at a, on a personal level, uh, obviously, I think we have to make policy changes and we should all be engaged in really, you know, large actions. But I think on a, on a very small level, one of the ways to counter the overwhelm of the mag... The, the the I was saying magnanimity the the the, the hugeness of, of of problems in the world is through small actions and even um, you know it might be as simple as asking yourself um, what are you doing with your guest bedroom. <laughs>